Hi everyone, welcome to the Footprint Futures podcast, where the founders of Footprint, Danny Scholz and myself, Sebastian Gear, interviewing leading entrepreneurs and sustainability innovators. In each episode, we want to learn from these inspiring change makers on why and how to accelerate the world towards a sustainable future. Hello everyone and welcome to the Footprint Futures podcast. Today we host Bev Bell, founder of Green Product Placement. Through this podcast, you will learn how she created one of the first ever mission-driven product placement agency. Also, we will cover her methods to work with companies and finding the right projects in the entertainment industry. She will also tell us all about how Hollywood is evolving in regards to climate change and how it is important to raise awareness in the industry, from producers to filmmakers. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, welcome everybody. Today on this episode, we have Beth Bell, the founder of Green Product Placement. Hello and welcome. Thank you for having me. As a start, I would suggest let's quickly run through your story, your founding story and the background of Green Product Placement. Certainly. So um, I have been uh, an IATSE film and television technician since 1990, um, working in the capacity of, you know, set decoration, set dressing, um, set deck buying. So I was very familiar with the use of what it means to have product placement and trade out placement in films and TV. I mean, essentially, it's a win-win situation whereby you're dressing these sets and you need products to fill the sets to make them look true to life. Um, and then brands, you know, they like to have the extra exposure. And uh, also when they send product to a show, you have a whole captive audience of 150 to 450, you know, cast and crew also exposed to their products. Um, and then they provide this use for, you know, to, for their products to be seen on camera. Like imagine a, somebody goes into a supermarket, right? So every brand that you see on screen has to be legally cleared for use because 30 years from now, someone could be watching that episode in, you know, Argentina and, you know, they're, they need to be cleared for use. So a lot of brands, some brands may place directly, they may have people inside their company that manage it, but a lot of them work through agencies, much like my own, that help you know, vet and funnel these opportunities and coordinate them with the productions. And usually they're people with knowledge of, you know, what a production needs. So that's where someone who has experience like mine, you know, comes in handy. So anyway, I, uh, I'd been doing that 
since the late 80s. And then in 2000, I started, I worked for a, um, a marketing company, um, kind of, le- you know, somewhat left my, the took them on television for a few years and I managed a department there. So I, I started, you know, in your life, how you amass different types of knowledge from different jobs and things that you've done, right? So I've kind of had film and television. Now I have the marketing knowledge. And then in 2011, Morgan Spurlock, the documentary filmmaker who made Super Size Me that everybody knows, he he was making and releasing a movie called Palm Wonderful Presents the Greatest Movie Ever Sold. And it was a documentary that he and his partner entirely financed by doing these paid integration placements. They also did a few trade outs in it. It was absolutely hilarious. As a product placement professional, I would say it rang about 65% true <laughs> because, you know, it wasn't like the normal everyday. It was, here's this celebrity who's making this thing. However, I had watched the trailer for it and I watched, he did a TED talk. This was in 2011. Found it really amusing. Um, at the time in 2010, I spent a year uh helping being a consulting managing director for a small production company based in DC New York and through you know it's a small world production world small world he was like a facebook friend friend of a friend and he said you know I'm going to be over on ted.com answering questions about my new uh documentary you know come on over and ask whatever you want so i go on over there i'm sitting there much like today with my I had my cup of coffee and my you know and i go on over and i'm like hey you know I remembered in 1998, I was the assistant set decorator on that movie Runaway Bride with Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. And we had to do, it was called the Curl Up and Die Salon. You know, die spelled D-Y-E. And I, my, the decorator was like, I hate all that stinky chemical crap you get from the agencies, you know, reach out to some natural brands. So this was in 98, but there was already a certain amount of production desire for it. Of course, there were a lot less natural brands back then. So I kind of remembered that. I remembered all my years at the marketing company doing all the, you know, like branded entertainment events and this other stuff. I mean, I knew that this whole thing was not a, a marketing channel that was going away anytime soon. Um, and I was like, you know, hey, Morgan, you know, are there any agencies now that are specifically working only with the green brands? And there was some back and forth. And he's like, you know, I think you found your next smile, next career, smiley face. And um, and so I did a Google search. I didn't find any specific agencies, you know, that that specialized in that and were set up to be accessible for uh, prop people, set decorators, and costumers to, you know, get on their website, download the client list, blah blah blah. I mean, I found a couple sort of consultants that maybe work to make sets more sustainable. It said they kind of did it, but it, it wasn't like these kind of full service agencies that I had remembered from my time working as you know in the set decoration department so i immediately i bought the domain name i you know started you know building the business and then um we had legally officially launched in 2012 and since then we've placed geez, somewhere between 152 and 200 you know uh good brands in something like over 550 productions in the u.s canada and the uk so Placing does not necessarily mean ends up in final cut, um, which we can talk about later if you're curious, but it means that their products made it to sets or used on the sets, um, you know, and had the potential to end up in the final cut. And, uh, you know, a lot of them did. So 
Um, that's the origin story. I mean, it was at the time it was kind of a light bulb moment because, um, you know, I already had some interest in sustainability and, and, uh, and later on, as I began to do public speaking and everything around what I was doing, and I, I sort of learned some more stuff myself, I found something like it was from the UNEP, I want to say something like 2009, 2010, it was a report that they published that talked about how you move the needle with sustainable products and behavior beyond, you know, a small percentage of educated, super green people. Like, how do you move the needle for people, you know, out in the countryside, you know, in middle America and everything else. And it was like, you know, association with celebrity, making products and behaviors, the norm. Um, and that overlaps with actually how product placement works on unconscious memory and brand recognition. Because, you know, a lot of times if you go into a retail establishment and there's new products, unless there's something to really catch your eye about it, to help make the connection between this new thing and you knowing about it, you may not see it. You go in to buy your body wash or whatever, you're going to walk right through, you're going to pick up the brand you always buy, and you're not really going to see anything else. But if something happens in your brain to kind of trigger a certain kind of recognition, you will then... It's like the you know blinds have been lifted and you can see more things. So I just you know I thought it was really interesting that that you know I could do this business, which is essentially you know it's like an ad agency or marketing company, but it could also be something that was mission based, and it could also be something that was aligned with making you know behaviors more sustainable. Super interesting. If you would elaborate a little bit on what does green product placement do different compared to any normal product placement agency uh, in the industry? Like, how do you differentiate? Sure. So if you go to the Irma website, erma.org, um, which is the US-based Entertainment Resources Marketing Association, which is this, you know, vetted organization of professionals that work in the product placement field, of which there's not that many. <laughs> We all know each other. Um, We are the only agency that is specifically mission-based in that we only place green, sustainable, socially enterprising, and or small entrepreneurial brands. So um, that would probably bring to your next question is how do you vet these brands? Well, I mean, I compare it to, you know, if you're a buyer in an independent health food store, for instance, right? Well, how do you vet what you sell, right? You just kind of have to do the research. Well, do they have anything? I mean, there, there are certain brands that may not even wear their sustainability on their sleeves. But once you really start doing research about them, you find out that, oh, they've been, they've been employing all these tactics or they've been socially enterprising. They've been giving back to charity since the day they were founded. Um, so yeah, I have to do a certain amount of vetting to see if there is, there is, if, if there is at least one item in this brand's ethos or, or brand's SOP that matches my, Uh, mission. So e either and or, you know, they're, they're, they're either made sustainably or they support sustainability, you know, and or they do something to give back as part of their normal SOP, you know, and or, you know, they're a smaller, more entrepreneurial brand, which tend to be a lot more nimble and sustainable just by the nature of how they do things. Um, and so, you know, if there's two of those, great. If there's only, you know, so that's, that's how I do that is I, 
I really, I've got to, I just have to kind of do a little bit of research. If somebody comes to me interested and there's just absolutely nothing about their brand that might support what my mission is, I have to just refer them to somebody else. Also cool. So you really reject, you reject actually a client's uh, approaching you if they wouldn't fit your vision. I mean, it's, it's not been that many of them because most People have got a certain amount of common sense and can just go to my website and go to our feed and, you know, and know what we're about as an agency. So like that doesn't really happen all that often. And usually when it does, it's just some, some weird little something or other that you'll never see in a store anyway. So it's, it's, it sounds like, oh, that's like a huge loss, but I mean, it's not. Really. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. By communicating it straight from the, from the beginning, you probably have a search filter in, in that regard. You said you, you started out in 2011-2012 with green product placement, which is a totally different time compared to now in terms of awareness of the whole um, green and, and environmental um, importance. What kind of challenges did you face back then and how did you address them? Um, I think that the biggest challenges are... are, are are even still some of the same challenges that just the whole industry today faces, but it was particularly amongst some of these up and coming brands who, who might not have, have understood the importance of trying to incorporate uh, entertainment media product placement into their marketing plans. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, and I, and what I tell all of them also is that it shouldn't, you shouldn't put all your eggs in that basket because that'll never help you. But if you're making a marketing plan, it's like, it's like, a, it's like an arsenal. It's a quiver with a bunch of arrows in it. Right. And one arrow is social media influence. And the other arrow is sponsoring, you know, events like marathons or something, you know, the other, hour, you know, is print media. The other arrow is, you know, social ads and Google ads. The other arrow, you know, is traditional PR. Somewhere in there should be product placement, and this is why. All of the high-performing multinationals like, you know, Ford and Apple and, and Budweiser and Heineken and Coca-Cola, they have all been doing product placement for, for, you know, as long as I've been around probably, you know, at least. And how do they become household names? Well, they do it by building this brand awareness through every single channel they get. And if you want to emulate their success, you know, you have to, you have to walk along some of the paths that they walked along as well. And that should include doing a certain amount of entertainment media product placement in what you do. And so the biggest challenge has been with some of these smaller brands is for them to understand, you know, that, you know, you, you, you have to incorporate all these different avenues to build your brand awareness because, you know, not everybody is looking at Insta stories, you know, not everybody does. Some people are never on there at all, but they're going to watch, you know, they're going to watch the new documentary about WeWork, you know, that we have some stuff in, you know what I mean? That's coming out today. Like, you know, so that's probably one of the biggest challenges. It was not a huge challenge getting to the studios and productions. Um, and I think that might have been probably one of the next questions you were going to ask is, you know, producers and studios. Product placement agencies, again, also have been around since something like the 70s. I mean, think, you know, Reese's Pieces and E.T. And I mean, you know, they've been doing that forever. Um, and if you're a production, like, like 
you know, let's say one of your sets is a department store, right? And in this department store, you've got a cosmetic counter, right? You've got to dress that cosmetic counter to make it look entirely convincing. So when they're shooting on this thing that's not really a department store, it really looks like a department store. So how do you fill this cosmetic counter, right? What do you do? You have to find a bunch of appropriate brands, see if they'll send you product and packaging, get it dressed into the cosmetic counter, and presto, it looks real. So not only does that look real, so, you know, not only are you doing that, but you're also getting great free advertising for all these cosmetic brands that have sent you stuff. So it's really, it's win-win for everything. And if most of those brands are green brands, then it's even better. So um, productions and studios, you know, they're, they're not the challenge. They, you know, they always, they, well, all they want is the stuff. And, um, and although there are some storylines that might specifically be skewed towards like, oh, we have to dress a set. It's supposed to be a Whole Foods or, um, you know, this character is supposed to be a vegan or, you know, whatever it is, or this character, but, you know, bikes to work or, or whatever that might be. I mean, sometimes it is. Uh, it is editorially driven for them to go to want to place these types of brands. Um, most of the time, you know, they just want stuff. So, um, so that's, that hasn't been the challenge. It's definitely been, it's definitely been on the brand side. I, I get that. I get that. And what was your personal main drive, main motivation to go into the sustainability area and, and, and mainly do product placement for these kind of brands? Well, You know, after I, so I worked, so I was in, you know, film and television since the late eighties. And then in 2000, I started working for this marketing company and they did work internationally and, and, and uh, mainly North America, but also, you know, in Europe and then they did stuff in Dubai and, um, and then they were bought out by a larger corporation that completely restructured and all this other kind of stuff you know, the soul crushing thing where they like eliminate your entire department and everything else is like pretty horrible. So at that point, you know, I started thinking about like, well, what is it that I really care about? And I was kind of knocking around the idea of doing a career switch. I mean, I was, I was whatever I was, you know, late thirties, early forties, something like that. And, and I was really, um, I mean, ever since I was, when I was a little kid, There used to be this, there was, this, and you can look it up on YouTube. There was like this commercial and it was supposed to be this like, this like native American. And he's like in full regalia and he's like standing on a hill and, and he, and he's, and he's like, there's a highway and there's like all this garbage. And then you see him with a tear in his eye and, um, and you know, and it was always, and then it was like a whole, you know, give a hoot, don't pollute, it, you know, that all kind of started in like the seventies. And so I always had an interest in that. And then I had a very good friend who, um, I guess genetics and lifestyle, whatever, but she got, she was a production person and she got breast cancer when she was in her thirties. She passed away when she was like 38 or 39. And part of that, as she started to discover was a lot of these environmental toxins also that she may have been exposed to. And, you know, she did this full purge, you know, of all the cleaning products and all the health and beauty, anything of hers that contained any kind of chemical, you know, was removed from her house. So, I mean, I'd probably been using natural products, health and beauty, at least part of the time since I was in college. Um, but, you know, when that happened, you know, I just, I just started realizing that, you know, all these old habits that we used to have like all this stuff, it's got no place to go. 
I mean, I just, I can't even believe, you know, in my lifetime, and I'm Generation X even, just the sheer amount of change and not only the climate, but just the amount of landfill garbage, pollute, you know, ocean pollution, like, wasn't like that when I was a kid, you know, it's just, it's a really frightening thing to see. And so, so when this whole, when this whole thing happened, um, I, I started thinking, well, I wonder what it is I could do, you know, and I kind of was looking around at trying to be trained for, you know, just, you know, to be a, some sort of consultant, this, that, the other thing. And then uh, in 2011, I kind of had a, a family thing that happened with my husband. He had that brain. So he's absolutely fine now. He runs ultra marathons or anything else. I don't really want to talk about that. But at that same year uh, is one of the, this strange random conversation happened with Morgan Spurlock. And it, like I said, it was like this light bulb of like, wait a minute, marketing, production, sustainability. Or like, you know, all the three of these light bulbs went over my head. And I was like, well, I got to, I got to do this. I got to try this. So it was like, it was like, you know, then when they say find your calling and I mean, at the time, you know, it just became this thing that I was absolutely passionate about and I just had to do. So, um, so that's how I came about. But yeah, I mean, I, I really, I just, I just can't imagine people that don't care about this. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, it's this huge existential crisis that like, I mean, even right right now what's going on in ukraine and and you know and the and the the oil and gas that's coming out of rush i mean it's like wait a minute if europe had really fully invested in in you know zero emission energy like decades ago like they wouldn't even rely on russia right now you know what i mean so it's like it really everything everything is touched by it i agree i agree and i, I think it's really cool that you thought about making the change and then deciding to use your your skills and expertise to kind of use it for for the good did you ever think back and and had any doubts about your your decision back then um back then no no not at all i mean you know no i just i was like singularly focused you know i was just like um you know and and you know we've done a lot of good we've done a lot of good but you're right things things have changed since then i mean not only even just pandemic i mean even even to 2019, I mean, you know, like you take like large multinationals like Unilever, who they're represented, they've been represented by this agency out of New York for, you know, decades. You know, they started doing a whole thing where they sold off a lot of their conventional brands and started buying up these not brands like Kensington and, and, and then they came up with that Love, Beauty and Planet line. Like the business world is now finally catching up with, with consumers, you know? I agree. One one slightly different topic you mentioned before that the industry is quite established, quite old in some some aspects. How do you transform such an industry from the inside? How do you start a new movement towards green, which you do already since quite ten years? <laughs> it is not. It is not easy. So there. So so here's what's going on now. Um, there's it's very siloed right you have canadian filming like has their whole initiatives you have the u.s has their initiatives and even in the u.s where they have their initiatives it's such a small number of people that do the practicing to actually actually make it happen um you know you'll have like you know an entire studio where i'm not going to name any names but i'm going to talk about a studio 
with TV and film under its, you know, under its purview. You know, and they literally had two people in the whole department for an entire, you know, Hollywood soundstage complex plus, you know, corporate offices plus theme parks plus productions that were being shot all over the world. They got two people there trying to work with all these different entities, try and make them more sustainable. I mean, it's, it is, it's really difficult because the thing about film and TV is, and why it is as wacky as it is, is that it's a lot of money thrown into one minute, right? When you think about, even if it's just one minute, you're, 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 you're shooting a scene and you've got all of the high-priced talent there, right? Actors and actresses. The rental of all the lighting and camera equipment, which is super, super expensive. All the set dressing, all the costumes, all the crew, the location, if they're on location, like all this stuff, like it's, it's like, it's, hundreds of thousands to million dollars, you know, a minute. It's nuts, right? So if you're, say you're the producer who's in charge of this whole thing and, and you got to balance, make sure that you're not spending too much money. And so, and then, and then somebody's, oh, you know, maybe if you, you know, we need to also try and make things more sustainable. I mean, most of them are going to be, well, how much is that going to cost me? Oh, an extra dumpster? Really? You know, but the fact remains, and there's even, there was a report that was put out it's probably eight years ago, if you go to the Producers Guild of America Green website, and it was written by this friend and colleague of mine who is in charge of, the, she founded this company called Earth Angel, and they they consult with production companies and to make them more sustainable. Um, she's like an outsource, you know, like for other production companies and studios. But anyway, she did a case, she did a several case studies of several productions and discovered that those productions that were that built a sustainability plan into their budget, they more than paid for um, the you know the couple of people they might have to pay to help manage that, and then and then some. I want to say it was like the ama- when they did the Amazing Spider-Man two, which was whenever that was 2014, 2015, something like that. Her efforts save the production something like half a million dollars, you know, in, in the getting rid of waste and everything else. So, you know, it needs to, it, but it needs to be, it can't be an afterthought. And so a lot of these places are still treating it as an afterthought. So, so there's, so the, there's the siloing, which is a big issue because you've got, you know, you've got people, there's people in India working to make films more sustainable. There's people in South Africa and Australia and in Europe and, and, at this time, there is no one entity that kind of officially links all these different efforts. But uh, thanks to Emily, and this was this was an idea that I had years ago when I wrote an article about the state of the industry for Triple Pundit. I was just like, why is there no one entity? Entity, um, but now there there may be, and we're working on it, and it's a little bit top secret. But the UNF Triple C is involved, and uh, and hopefully, you know, we'll be able to you know, uh, at least announce an effort to link all these entities and entities around the world to make the business more sustainable, as has been done in sports, you know, in fashion and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's 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 a hurdle because it always comes down to the bottom line and it always comes down to, well, that's the way we've always done it. And, and you know, all these things like. You know, in, in the effort to cut down on the water bottles, you know, and so they hand out the, here's your water bottle. And, you know, 
and and then they would have all the filters everywhere and everything else. Well, you work in a production office, like that's no big deal. But you're out on location in a quarry. I mean, you can't bring your plug-in portable, you know, water filter, right? You got to use the bottles because what else are you going to do, right? So, um, you know, it's definitely, there's definitely some hurdles, but, but uh, you know, people are, are working on it. Um, and I would say, you know, again, it is, it's about having everyone who's in the industry really care about it. And it's about having everyone in the industry, including producers and, and heads of studios to be just as freaked out about the idea of climate change as I am. And you are, because then they want to do something, you know? I agree. Then, then change is happening. Yeah. You, you mentioned a yep. couple of very concrete examples, super interesting, like, for example, water bottles mm -hmm. or trash minimization. Mm -hmm. Anything else which you could just uh, share with us, which is not even that difficult to, to implement? Sure. So so you have people that do um, that they want to switch some fleets of vehicles to like, let's say, you know, like the star, the actors, you know, that a teamster driver, you know, come, they pick them up at their house or their hotel room or whatever to drive them to the set. So that now the idea is we're going to switch these vehicles out for hybrids or electric. Right. That helps. Um, there are generators and lighting now that are being switched from, you know, to solar and then the lighting from incandescent to LED, which saves a lot of energy. Um, there's, uh, the idea in the, in the costume and wardrobe department for them to look at using, you know, aging and dyeing processes that are more non-toxic, um, in the, in the hair and makeup trailer, you know, let's use some products that are better for these actors, skin and hair that don't contain, you know, horrible chemicals. Um, again, you know, in set, set decoration and props, my department, you know, if you're, you know, let's have a character showing, um, you know, carrying a water bottle instead of a bottle, instead of a bottle of water, you know, let's show them the, you know, biking to work, you know, let's show them, um, composting instead of throwing away uh so there's that there's also i mean it's in almost there's they're also in their efforts to go paperless or, or a lot less paper every day you know there there's these things called sides and they're like a little bit of script pages come out and that's they're going to shoot that day so now they only give people paper copies that they absolutely have to have them instead you know it's like an electronic copy and people can look at it on their tablets um Yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch of different ways, and I would direct people that are interested to um, to the Producers Guild of America Green website and and um, that we are Albert in the UK um, to real it's like real green media in Canada, um, and you know there there are a lot of really great resources out there for and then and then uh in the and then for one for people who make commercials it's called we are ad green you know ad green which was started by a uk-based commercial producer but that's pretty much worldwide um there are a bunch of different resources and you know people can look into it and if you're a producer you know figure out how you can implement some of these things into your production in terms of um Green product placement, green marketing also. Imagine a, a brand is already quite sustainable and wants to communicate that in a better way to the to their customers. What would be suggestions from your side? Like eventually there is also smaller 
companies, smaller brands who uh, don't have huge budgets for green product placement with, with larger agencies, what could they do maybe to, to also communicate that they are green and also raise awareness for their clients that they actually have super sustainable products? Well, um, that's where my agency comes in <laughs> because my, my, I, I knew that a lot of these little small green brands did not have the kind of budgets for big fat retainers and all that other kind of stuff that a Unilever does. So my agency, and there's like one or two other agencies that's, I don't think they're even as value-based as I am, but they're a little bit closer. Um, you know, I have a pricing structure that makes my services very accessible to these smaller brands. And like going back to the idea of this, this quiver of arrows and each arrow is a different marketing thing is, you know, I would tell these small brands, you know, again, if they want to build awareness, they have to, they have to implement some of the same marketing strategies that these larger companies do. They just have to find a more economical way to do it. Um, and that includes uh, sometimes on the off chance, there may be some specific productions that might reach out to a brand. Let's say it's like a period production that takes place in the sixties or something. And you have a product that wasn't around then, but your packaging looks like it does. So you randomly get an email from somebody working on that production saying, Hey, we'd like to use your product, blah, blah, blah. All you have to do is pay for shipping and send us boxes, and whatever. Take it every time. I mean, in, unless somebody gets bludgeoned with your, with your, item and you know i mean like you know as long as it's not some negative connotation like take it every time like um you know the social thing is great i mean i i see some of these smaller brands do do some of this like brand ambassador type work where they reach out to influencers and say hey we'll send you some free stuff if you can put it on your social um you know as long as you're not shelling out a whole lot of your budget on that like as long as it's just something you're kind of spending a little bit on that can be pretty valuable as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that, that brands that, that look at using as kind of as many effective avenues as they can, like, like don't discount, you know, old school public relations, you know, finding a, a, a public, a PR agent who is aligned with your values um, to help you get your item, you know, written about. Uh, online and in print like that, I think is also a very valuable avenue to build awareness. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, I think you can never, if you're a brand, you can never be complacent about constantly trying to get your brand into the public sphere. I think that's the important thing is, you know, it's great if once you get uh, a customer who will always come by, you know, who always, who will give you a positive review. And, and if it's something that needs to be replenished, like a skincare or something like that, you know, they keep coming back to you. Like, that's really great. And the ultimate goal is to build these types of customers. But you, you want to, in order to do that, you have to constantly put yourself out there as a brand in every avenue that you possibly can, you know, that you can afford. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. You mentioned something really interesting that if you really want to implement it that way, you have to work also with, with people who, who share your vision and you, who also have kind of the vision, uh, uh, for example, in this case, in a sustainable regard and, and want to live that also up in a way. Do you have any experience made where this was actually a challenge in, in your case? Uh, not, 
necessarily because I do think that there are a lot more mission-based companies out there. Um, I mean, I'll give you an example. You know, in 2019, uh, when we put together our advisory board, uh, I, I wanted to do a PR blitz around that. And the past times that I'd done a PR blitz for um, some events we'd done and when we launched and everything else, I mean, I did it completely DIY. I did it myself. By the time 2019 rolled I'm just like, I just, there's no way. Like, and I need somebody who's got a lot more contacts than I do and everything. So, you know, I have a friend. She's got a mission-based agency in, in New York in New York called Triple Bottom Y. Um, and, you know, that's her specialty. And so I went to her because she, she works with entrepreneurs very much like me who are also mission-based. Um, and so that, and that's, you know, that's what I would say to you know, to these brands is like, you know, you want to, if you're looking at, at hiring contracted service providers, you know, whether it's anything from a graphic designer to a, you know, to somebody, to a, to a factory that's going to make your soap or whatever it is, you know, the most important thing is to look for people who are aligned with your very similar values to help you. Because otherwise that combination will never, you know, it's, it's, will never, you know, you'll never gel. Um, but we are already uh, pretty far in. Um, and what we normally do in the end is asking for your personal sustainability hack. So today I would even uh, um, do it a little bit further and ask you if you have, you saw so many companies already, do you have any sustainability hack for a company uh, or generally for companies which would not even be that complicated to implement, but a low-hanging fruit to yeah for a company to do, to be a little bit more sustainable. Well, I yeah, that the pandemic you know brought about even for companies that aren't focused on sustainability. I mean, you know, do you know about the huge savings from people not having to commute to work? <laughs> like, I think having flexible work from home policies are important. I think. Um, doing a lot of your uh, collaboration-based work in these online workspaces like Google and, you know, many of the others. Um, so you're not having to, you know, print tons of paper and do all other things, which a lot of people are doing. But another thing about the online and remote work thing is that's also a lot less air travel. So, like, let's say you work with a company and you're in sales. I mean... Unless you physically have to go and measure the space or look at, you know, like a site survey or something like that to figure out the needs of this client, like you don't always have to go there. I mean, I know it sounds weird, but but you don't. Um, so I think those are three low hanging fruit. Um, you know, bring your dishes to if you do have to work in an office, like bring your dishes to work. Like bring your coffee mug, bring your plate, bring your, you know, like there's no reason to use all this disposable stuff. If you're literally, your office is like your home, you know, it's like you don't use it at home normally, you know what I mean? So that's another one. Um, so I'm saying, yeah, I mean, if you think about your own modes of transport, you know what I mean? Like, um, obviously, you know, the people with the gigantic monster trucks are the ones feeling the most pain right now with the gas prices. And those of us that drive hybrids are like, ah, ha, ha, ha. Um, you know, I mean, I, I would say, you know, I would say the hacks are, you know, or just, you know, there's less waste, you know, just, just plainly, you know, what can you do to, you know, to, to, to waste less money, to waste less time, to, you know, to waste less, uh, 
carbon, um, and and that, let that be your guide. Super inspiring. Thank you for sharing. Do you have a personal sustainability hack which you try to incorporate more in your daily life? Currently? Um, gosh, like let me think of a personal. I mean, there's a few things, and that is, I don't really buy a whole lot in the way of brand new like clothes and stuff like that. Like I'm a big believer in the clothes swap and the thrift store and like, you know, the Poshmarks and the, I mean, you know, one person's trash is another person's treasure and there's all this stuff and it's like perfectly good. I mean, you know, underwear and shoes maybe, you know, but sometimes even shoes, you know, but, um, and, uh, and I mean, that's a, that's been a big part of my life. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a water bottle carrier and a, you know, reusable mug carrier and, and all that other kind of stuff, I think. Um, yeah, I, you know, my, you know, my car is a Prius and, and I just, yeah, I mean, I, again, I just, just like any business, I just try and look for, you know, ways to make less waste. We compost, you know, I mean, just all the kind of stuff that you're meant to do, we do. So, um, but you know, we still have a full can of trash, unfortunately, every week, but but uh, we we do our best. We you know a lot goes in the recycling, and you know we regularly recycle and everything else. So I mean, I guess maybe that's my hack. But yeah, the clothes one is a big one, and I would definitely recommend you know for the people that that aren't necessarily doing the clothes swaps or, or doing the thrifting and everything else, like you know to give it a try. You'd really be surprised what you can find. Thanks so much for sharing that. Super cool. Well, I think we are already at the end of, of the episode, Beth, but thank you so much. These were amazing insights about uh, green product placement and, and how we can market more sustainably. Um, so thank you so much for, for all your insights for this episode and really glad to talk to you. And thank you guys for having me. And I, I can't wait to give this and an additional episodes a listen and uh, wish you all a happy weekend. Thank you for listening. Don't hesitate to send us a message if you enjoyed the podcast. We would love to get in touch. You can also share it around you and follow us on social media. Stay tuned for our next podcast.